Well, don't let anybody tell you guys. You sound really good for 8, eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> no, it's always a blessing. I remember back in the day. How many of you guys went to Promise Keepers? Remember those days? Remember sitting in a stadium of 35,000 men hearing the uh, music? How cool was that? Well, that kind of leads me into my friend Ron. Um, I had the unique privilege at the time to actually be with this man when he accepted Christ. And uh, he's been a zealot ever since. He... um, we were in Bible study together and watched him go through the whole process. And I could tell you some stories, but I'm afraid to say him in loud in church of what he used to be like in the military when he was in the Navy. It was uh, it was quite interesting to put it to put it lightly. But you know, you ever run across anybody in your life that uh, has had a significant impact on you? For those of you guys that don't have somebody that you can be close to or be come up around or whatever, you know, shame on you because this man right here has influenced and helped more guys and gals through the Celebrate Recovery program here at Harborside and just been a, a tremendous mentor to me. We've been friends for probably close to 15, 20 years now. Isn't that right, Ron? Something like that. But anything to do with missionary work, celebrate recovery, uh, that's Ron. So it's my privilege to introduce Ron Uridia. Boy, talk about scary. I've been reading the reports about me going to give a big speech today and tell everybody about how cool everything is. And then they don't give me the podium to carry my 35 sheets of notes well I've been told I got 28 minutes so you guys are going to have to put up with 28 minutes of this stuff but let me start off by telling you that I've learned early in my life that if you want to make an impression on people that have just eaten uh, you should tell them some jokes first and as uh, my good brother told you I have a lifestyle that I have to go look up clean jokes this is going to be lighthearted, guys so you can start laughing that's all right Aha, uh-huh. here's the first joke. When most people assume WWJD is for what would Jesus do, but the initials really have changed to stand for what would Jesus drive. One theory is that Jesus would tool around in old Plymouth because the Bible says God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden in a fury. But in Psalm 83, the Almighty clearly owns a Pontiac and a Geo. The passage urges that Jesus to pursue your enemies with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Perhaps God favors Dodge pickup trucks because Moses, followers are warned not to go up to the mountain until they hear the ram's horn. Some scholars insist Jesus drove a Honda but didn't like to talk about it. As proof, they cite a verse from St. John's Gospel where Christ tells the crowd, for I did not speak of my own accord. Meanwhile, Moses rode an old British motorcycle as evidenced by a Bible passage declaring that the roar of Moses triumphed this herd in the hills. There's a couple more, but they're kind of, eh. I wanted to use my testimony 
because for 37 years my testimony defined me. And now it defines me because I get to share with people how great the message of grace really is. I'm going to say at times you or we, but I want you to take it as I'm talking to you as Ron. It's I. It's my life. It's my recommendations. It's the way I would look at things going forward. And if you look around right now, what you see is the potential for leadership. Every one of these tables has a leader. Your DNA that God gives you allows you to be a leader, but a leader for a specific function, and that function is to spread his word. And he makes it so easy because he gives you all the grace you need, and then he tells you, love one another. And as we heard today in the song and as the closing prayer, uh, the definition of sin is the law. And the law was put away when Christ died on a cross. He took the law and put it over here because we can't live up to the law. God knew that. He sent his son to prove that he is the only way we'll get to heaven. And if you leave those thoughts in your mind as you go day by day, then the message of grace and the law all fall into one place, and that is your relationship with Christ. It gets you through everything. And I'm here to tell you it does get you through everything. So if you go with me in prayer first, let me go to prayer because I need the Holy Spirit to be with me at this time. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of all your miracles. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glory shines. That's Psalm 26, 4 to 8. As I prepared to give the testimony, I looked at the social network barrage and realized here's an opportunity to help someone realize hope and the concept of grace. Why is that important? Because you and I represent God's chosen. We are the leaders. We are the servants. Leaders are servants. Anybody who has ever led anything will tell you they knew how to follow. They knew how to follow. They became servants. They became servants. They won the hearts of their people. The people will follow them. That's what a leader does. All good leaders will tell you, I cannot lead unless I can follow. When you follow, you serve. Well, we all follow the greatest leader of all time. What I hope to share with you today, I never planned to lead in the way that I stand before you today. In my past life, my leadership skills could make you understand today is a good day to die. And I have brothers at that table who can share that with you. Many of you have been on both ends of that thought. And to those who have served our country, thank you for your service. You understand that comment. But now my leadership skills are used for a much different goal and a much different reward. But first, let me share the reason I feel confident in my true DNA is not what I thought it was for some 37 years of a worldly existence. But I did find that I was being trained to make that true DNA come out, the DNA that God plants in each one of us, the one that tells us not only why we experience guilt and shame, but the DNA which is the basis to revel in the grace that's undeserved. Now look to the next person next to you. Go ahead and look at them. They have grace. They can share that grace, not only with you, but with somebody else. But what stops them from seizing the initiative? What stops us from exercising the simple mission of loving one another? How come we are afraid to share our love so that others would want to have it? Why is it so hard to be lovable so others would want to know why? Leaders know how to motivate. They win your hearts and they control your mind. But how? Why do people look up to leaders? What is a leader and what does he do to make others want to? Why don't we see that we get to? And that's what we do. We get to do what we've been asked to do by our Lord and Savior. Now the curveball. Listen to what I did to get here. Let me start telling you about how an ugly person I had been 
and what the insanity of my life really was. Like all addictions, it was simply depending on something other than Christ. Looking back, I had no real relationship with God. I knew God. I went to church. I was educated in a Christian school. I had a good parents. Parents. I had good parents. I had two good two of them. I had a great family. But I didn't have a relationship with anything, anything of lasting value. I did have fear, which I tell people was not all that bad, because the fear is what focused me to go back to God. The fear of going to hell at the time was probably the wrong motivation, but it was a fear, and it was an understanding that there is a hell. There is a consequence. Fears, perhaps, what eventually asked, led to me asking God for help. My experience in realizing I had to deal with my problems was very typical. I hit rock bottom almost 11 years, 4 months, and 15 days ago. That was math that I did last night. My, my rock bottom still scares me. And for 4 years, I checked into the Department of Corrections on a monthly basis to remind me of the consequences of my broken moral compass. When I hit rock bottom, it was a shock to me, as if 37 years of bad road before hadn't happened. Oblivious to the warnings, my denial was fueled by a successful military career. It took me from being a seaman all the way up to lieutenant commander in the United States Navy, and I was given a field commission. So for 24 years, I felt like I was doing something successful. Then when I got out, I stayed in the business. I started a business, and I was successful at that. I accumulated all the stuff I thought I really needed. I worked hard at making everybody like me. I worked hard at making everybody want to love me. I worked hard at making people depend on me. But if you notice, the message was I wanted them to come to me. I didn't know how to do it any other way. I loved the respect and the power or influence I seemed to be able to demand at any given moment. And I used gifts and things like that to make those people want to love me. So you can see we're starting to get broken. But I had a nagging, a nagging, a nagging. I had a nagging and gigantic hole somewhere in my existence, something that no matter how much I drank, no matter how many people gathered around me, no matter how much money I loaned out, no matter how many people thought I was tough, no matter how much I proved to my family and to my friends that I was special, something was missing. I know now I was, what was missing was my relationship with God. I did not know what a relationship was. I did not know how to develop a relationship. I was, after all, experienced, after all of this experience, I realized that I was emotionally and mentally underdeveloped when it comes to relationships. I never had practiced any method or used any healthy tool to grow emotionally or mentally. I simply played with the deck that was handed to me because it allowed me to live life on my own terms. So how did I get to this place, lost with all my stuff, especially the junk in my trunk? pastor. <laughs> I look back and I see although I tried to make everyone love me, my family was afraid of me. The stuff I gave them did not make up for the fear in their hearts. That's very subtle. But it's very important. I was in fact a very abusive person physically and emotionally. When you're an alcoholic, you lie to yourself and you don't see clearly. At the point I hit rock bottom, I had been at the lowest and most alcoholic part of my disease. I had gone steadily from a social drinker to a drunk. Funny, looking back at my life experience, I can never remember planning to be an alcoholic or to screw up my life as much as I had. One would think you would have to plan it to go through all that pain that the addiction brought with it. Now, I don't want to make it too light in sensing that it's in the disease and it's addiction. It's bad choices. It's bad choices for not having a moral compass. It's bad moral compass for not having a relationship. It's 
not having a relationship with the right person. So you can see how that just transcends all the way across to give you the excuses that you need to stay in denial. I didn't have to plan. Satan knew I was an easy mark. I could simultaneously get myself where he wanted. He had all the tools and he gave them to me. I cheated, I lied, I womanized, I had pride, greed, and the list goes on and on and on. The last year of my alcoholism, alcoholism progressed. It started very innocently from stopping after work. And, you know, I'm not going to blame it on my military career either because there was a lot of sun and fun in the military career. You worked hard, you play hard. But I really can't blame it on that. But I use that same methodology. When I get off work, I go have a couple of drinks. That turned into, okay, I'm going to go have a couple more drinks, which turned into, I need to call my wife and tell her I'm still working, which turned into, call my wife while I'm at the bar and say, I'm going to eat dinner here. You want to come with me? That led to, I'm going to be at the bar for a while. If you don't want to have dinner with me, that's okay. To, I might not come home, so don't worry about it. It was subtle. It was tricky. And it took me down. I can also tell you another story. As I was drinking, and I was doing it so regular that I can tell you that I had plans on how I was going to accomplish the rest of the day or the rest of the evening or whatever it was. But one of the first things I noticed when I looked back at how horrendous I'd made my life, I remember that I was starting to go to church. And I would not drink on Saturday night because I noticed if I drank on Saturday night, people on Sunday would know I was drinking because they'd turn around and look at me during our singing. So I figured, okay, well, I'll just stop drinking Saturday night at a certain hour. So Sunday I'd go to church, and then as soon as church was over, I'd have some lunch and off to the bar. So you can see the, the insanity of something like that. I can skip right through that page. I was a poster boy for a functional alcoholic. I could stay out till 1, and I'm being kind here, and be at work at 7. And one day, November 23, 2003, I remember going to work a little late. I looked up to the roof of my Jeep Sahara. Now, you got to realize that Jeep Sahara is not really something that a man my age should have. At least I shouldn't have had. And I remember looking up, and I was right at the corner of Alderman and 19. I was going to my office of the company I owned, which kind of fueled my dependence on uh, not worrying about anything. And I had realized that for the last three months, I had told myself every day the next morning that I was not going to drink that evening. And every day, I would wind up in the bar drinking. So I remember looking up and saying, okay, God, I can't do this. I need you to get my attention. And I don't know why I use that phrase, but I can remember it clearly. I said, I need you to get my attention. So I realized that God was all-powerful, and God could get my attention. i got to warn you. Careful what you ask God to do. Well, anyway, God decides that the way he's going to get my attention was he's going to take my wife, who is my best friend, and who through all of this went through stages with me. I made her codependent, I'll tell you that. I made her worry about the fears that some of us can use to make our family stay in one place, and that is, if I disappear, you got nothing. Well, anyway, my wife had gone through that stage with me. She's practiced with me. She realized she didn't like it. She didn't know what to do about it. I had her under control. But, none be noticed to me, at the same time I was praying, come get my attention. She was praying, take me back to where I've been before, where I trust you, God, and I want you to help Ron, which I think today, as I look back, is an enormous prayer. It wasn't 
help me get out of this mess. It was help Ron get out of his mess, which I thought was enormous. And I still can get emotional thinking about that. But anyway, she decides that the best thing that she can do is she can call the police and tell them she doesn't want me to come home. I get to work. She calls me. So the police are here. Um, there's two reasons they're here. One is I don't want you to come back home because of what you've been doing and how you've been doing it. And the other was my daughter told her that she was afraid of me. She felt physically abused. That turns into a conundrum in itself, and we'll leave that alone. But what happened then was the police took over and the system took over, and I was in the system at that point. I was not allowed to go home. I get home that afternoon, and, I'm, and this is really intricate detail because unless you've been there you don't realize the impact of what I'm saying you go home and a policeman says I think it's a good idea if you don't stay here so regardless of what you see on TV it's probably a good idea to leave I packed my Jeep Sahara with everything I thought I needed for a while I'm not sure what a while is and believe it or not I drove to the bar but a moment of clarity hit me and I said I cast I just asked God to help me I told him get my attention my wife called the police. The police told me not to go home. I think God's getting my attention. So why do I want to go in a bar? And that was the moment that changed everything. I backed out, and I went to a local hotel, got a room, stayed in the room. Now I've got a new problem. What do I do? I've got myself into this place where God's got me doing something. I'm just not sure what it is. So being a person of process, and, you know, my military career tells me, well, there's, there's a way out of this. You, you need to figure out what it is. You need to go with it. Well, the first thing I knew was, well, I need to go check into some hospital and tell them that I'm an alcoholic. So I found out that by, by uh, I forget the term, but I stopped drinking. What is the term? Help me. I just want to see if you guys are awake. Detox, Detox thank you. The, the doctor at the hospital says, when did you stop drinking? I said, about 72 hours ago. He says, how much have you been drinking? I told him, he says, gosh, you could have died without the right kind of guidance to do this. Why are you here? And I told him, God told me to come here. <laughs> he says, and this is a town and country, he says, so you believe in God? I said, well, I believe in God, I just don't know what I'm doing. And he says, well, I'm a Christian, and if you want me to take you aside, I could talk to you as a Christian does. Very important. I says, well, I do. He says, well, then you need to get a Bible. You read the Bible? It's he said, well, start reading the Bible. So I go back to my room all excited, and now I'm getting, the, I'm getting the hang of this thing. And I open up the Genesis, and I start like I've done before more than once, and I get to about the 18th page of Genesis, and I'm saying, okay, this ain't working. Well, I call my wife, and I said, we, we always retain our relationship. She's been my best friend. And she says, Ron, I think you should either call mom. The wisdom in that statement was enormous. Or figure it out. Mom is a missionary. Mom is the most condemnation-oriented woman I ever met in my life. Mom says, oh, you're finally going to figure it out, huh? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. What do I do? She said, read John. And I got to tell you, for the next two weeks, I sat in my room in that hotel, really dimly lit place. It's a good backdrop for wanting to get your life in order. And I can remember at one point in time, I was crying because I realized how much Jesus loved me. I realized no matter how bad it, I thought it was, he already knew. I understood what grace was starting to mean to me. So now I'm on fire. I'm good. I'm good to go. Let me share this with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. That's Revelation. So I'm reading the Bible, and now I'm going to AA because I learned about that at the rehab place, and the detox place. And I'm on fire because I know who the higher power is. The AA guys are just telling me about this higher power, higher power. I haven't heard anybody say Jesus yet. So I was thinking, I, think, I figured it out. Guys, it's Jesus. Jesus is the higher power. And that's when I found out that there's a subtle but very important difference between what AA will do and what something else will do for you. In AA, you're preaching if you're talking about Jesus. They're happy that they have their higher power, whatever it is, and you need to keep yours to yourself. Now is when I find out that my addiction is really based on my personality, and I have lots of problems. It's not just alcohol. Something else will manifest itself. At this time, it was anger. So I figured, okay, if I keep on coming to AA, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to hit somebody. Not good. So I tell my wife, I'm getting ready to do something really stupid. I'm going to stop going to AA because I thought it was a Christian-based system because I was going to this Episcopal church. I just found out they were using the Episcopal church, so it wasn't a faith-based system. She says, pray about it. No, she said, pray on it. Now, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. We don't pray on anything. We pray for stuff. Well, I prayed on it. This is Thursday. I can remember this clear as day. I come to church Sunday, and they make the announcement that they want to start a faith-based recovery program, and they're looking for volunteers. So I'm two for two. You know, I asked them first to get into my life, and the second was help me get figure out what I'm going to do with this non-faith-based system. I've got to tell you, AA is a great system. If they found Christ, it would be even better. I'm going to regress for a second because, I'm, you know, as I'm walking through this, and I get excited when I start talking about it because I just want to talk about how God's gotten in my life. When I walked into Harborside Church, you know, this is phase two. Phase one is start reading the Bible, understand Christ, uh, sacrifice for me, understand grace. So I need to find a church now because I'm doing this on my own. Really, really bad stuff. So I'm told that there's this church meeting at Countryside High School. Now, you get, I didn't tell you guys this, but I was Catholic. I am a recovering Catholic. Well, I walked into Harborside Christian Church at the high school gym. And that's when I walked in and I realized, oh my gosh, these are Christians. They're going to know I'm a sinner. I don't belong here. I really, really wanted to leave. I wanted to leave so bad I couldn't stand it. Jonathan Adrian was standing in the corner and I just walked up to him and I said, hi. And I was I shook up. He says, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm an elder. I'm looking at Jonathan thinking, you're not elder nothing. You're young. <laughs> Elders got to be old, right? No, elders don't have to be old at the time. Well, anyway, he says, just go in and, 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 you know, take part in the service. So I go and I sit down. Remember, Catholic. Well, the first thing they do is the band comes up on the stage and everybody stands up. Okay, there's no place to kneel. I'll stand up. Then you start singing. And I told God, I don't really feel comfortable here. I need some support. And the first song they sang was, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And I got to tell you, it was the third prayer that was answered, not in that sequence. I told, I told, shared this with Kurt. I felt like God was massaging my heart, saying, it's okay. Stay here. You'll like it. That's how important it is to have a relationship with Christ. Because when you're tuned in, there ain't nothing you can't do. And as leaders, that's exactly what we got to do. We got to tune in, because there's nothing we can't do. Now... Ron's an alcoholic. Ron's been with the Department of Corrections on the wrong side. Ron's been a warrior. Ron's got a company. What caused Ron to be an alcoholic? You know, where did that come from? And I think this is important. You've got to visit my life with me. 
when I went to AA, they said, you need to figure out why you're screwed up. Okay. I'm trying to figure that out because if I wasn't screwed up, I wouldn't be looking for alcohol to get me out of the mess I'm in. So I started listening to people's testimonies, and I couldn't figure out what mine was. I started using other people's. But I also found out that what they were doing was they're searching, and they're, they're holding on to what it was that got them to where they were, which I didn't think was real healthy. But I started looking at myself, and I said, okay, what they're doing is they're going back to their childhood and figuring out what's wrong. Well, I went back to my childhood. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. We grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, New York. A one-bedroom apartment is about a quarter of the size of this building or this, this facility. My mom and dad slept on a Castro convertible in the living room. That was their bedroom. The five boys slept in the one room. That was our bedroom. The girls all shared the dining room. That was their bedroom. And that's what was our life was like. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's why I'm screwed up. I lived in a little house. But I look back at that, and even though I was the oldest and I had a lot of responsibility, what I was really doing was enjoying my life better than you ever could. Because if you stop and think, nine kids all following you around, you can have a ball, especially if your parents weren't there. So I learned, later found out that's not a real good excuse. Maybe it's because at the time when I left high school, I was being scouted by the Mets, and I was in the Mets system. I was getting ready to go to spring training in 1964. And my dad was in the middle of a dock strike in New York. And I said, Dad, I'm going to stay for spring training. He said, no, you're not. You're going to come home because I'm in a dock strike. I haven't had a job in two months. We're starving. You need help. So in those days, you said, okay, I'll be there. And I went home, and I was very angry for a long time. So I said, that's got to be it. That's why. It wasn't that. Because that led me to my Navy career, which is a story in itself we didn't want time for. And in my Navy career, I said, well, that's really the cause of why I'm screwed up. It's because of the things I've seen, the things I've done, and the ways I lived my life. And then I started getting the, the message. I was blaming it on all the wrong things. What I was not realizing is I didn't have any solid relationship with anything that I can count on. I didn't know how to love myself, so how could I let God love me? How could I love God so he could love me if I can't love myself? And that's a really tricky thing. How do you love yourself? You love yourself by realizing that God loves you. God's got a purpose for you. God gives you a mission. And what you have to do is say, I've got it. But you can't get it unless you have some help. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. I raced right through this. I don't know where I am on my light in my notes. <laughs> but anyway, that's where I was when I got to the point where I realized that's what my problem was. And, and that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Some people are afraid of showing their emotions. Some people are afraid of saying what's inside them, eating them alive. Some people don't know how to love one another. And the first way you love one another is you develop the relationships with people that you want to love. And why not better a group of men like are here this morning? These are the kinds of people that you want to build around you. CR helps us with that. CR helps us understand through the, the uh, message on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's direction on how to handle life on life's terms is enormous. But if you look at it, it talks about humility. It talks about service. It talks about worrying about somebody else more about your, than yourself. And that's the start. And then the next part of it is the, and I love this, that, that uh, Kurt shared it with me because it's been my mantra since he shared it with me. My Paul, my Timothy, and I've added Barnabas. He didn't tell me about that. I'm happy I found Barnabas too. 
Paul, Timothy, and Barnabas. Just think about it. Paul is the, the spiritual person that you should be hanging around with. The one, not that can quote verse and make you feel bad. The one that's walking the walk. And you can tell what walking the walk really is. That's your Paul. Your Timothy is the neatest accountability thing that you could ever have because now you're on the hook. Now somebody's counting on you to help them develop a relationship with Christ. And if you don't think that's terrifying and gratifying at the same time, then try it because you're going to love it. And the Barnabas is just an enormous opportunity for you to encourage your brothers around you. And that's what I wanted to really leave you with. I wanted to leave you with, as you do here, Proverbs 27:17, Iron sharpeth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You have to have accountability. You have to have responsibility. You have to exercise it. How you exercise it, that's up to you and God. Jesus will tell you how to do it. He left the Holy Spirit to help us figure out what is our way of walking the walk. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and whenever necessary, use words. That's a really powerful comment. You're preaching it all the time by who you are. People are looking at you all the time by who you are. The person that you're talking to might not be the person that really needs to hear the message. The one behind you might be the one that needs to hear the message. If you're looking at giving a message because you want immediate return, don't do that. Just do what you're supposed to do. Do what's in your heart. If you're tuned into God, you know what your heart is saying. You don't hear words coming out of the big cloud and the big thunder and it says, Ron, go do this. No. It's in your heart. Your heart tells you over and over. You need to do this. You need to do this. And it might not be for who you think he's telling you to do it to. It's just that you need to do this. It's pretty darn important to keep that in your head. There were some things I wanted to talk about. And I think the best way to do it is I I came up with these list of things that I would ask myself if I was trying to motivate myself to do something. And I like doing that to myself because I'm my worst critic and my best fan at any given time. And I'm going to share these with you. Are you ready to lead? Do you know how powerful the Holy Spirit is? Do you know the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what they give you? You do more than you think about what you can do when you leave here. When you leave here, are you thinking about what you can do or you just checked the box, had breakfast, and had some fellowship and call that accountability? Do you have a commitment to do something for Christ today? Do you know he died for you because his father knew the cost to let you spend eternity in paradise? Do you know how many people you affect by your opportunity to lead? Do you have a Paul, a Timothy, or a Barnabas? Those are questions that I think I would leave with you and ask you to think about. There is no right answer. Every day is a new day. Every new day is a new answer. Every new answer is a new opportunity. The key is you. The key is your relationship with Christ. Did you know that the statistic is that when the trumpet sounds, 60%, will not make it to heaven with their sins forgiven. 60% means 40%. Let's do math. 8 billion people? What are we talking about? Maybe 6 billion staying behind? Whose fault is that? It's not Christ's fault. He did what he was supposed to do. 
He's asked us not to let that happen. And that's what we've got to do. That's what our responsibility is. That's what the life that you live right now, no matter how bad or how good you think it is, doesn't mean squat. It does mean squat if you used it for his purpose. And I'm going to make a couple of commercial announcements. I'm talking about accountability. You don't want to go to CR. That's up to you. CR is about helping you make the right decisions. That's all it is. If you're going through a bad marriage, if you're going through uh, a divorce, if you're going through a loss of somebody in the family, if you're going through trying to deal with your kid being an alcoholic, then you can't fix it. But if you used the process that CR encourages, which is having accountability, have a routine, stay with the, with the word, you'll be able to deal with that problem a little better. All those problems are covered by CR. But if you don't want to do CR, the biggest check mark that I can make in my recovery and my hopefully good walk with the Lord right now was through a small group. I knew I had to change everything at the moment that I wanted to change. All the people that I used to go drink with, I can't remember their names, none of them. I'm honest, honestly can't remember any of their names. I can barely remember where I was at the time. But I do remember everybody that was in my first small group. That first small group was so important to me. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't realize there was an elder and there was two other future elders in that small group. That's how powerful it was. But I didn't pick it because of that. I picked it because I was invited to come and listen to a bunch of good people talk about the things that are going on in their life. It wasn't Bible teaching. It wasn't thumping. It wasn't condemnation. It was, let's live life together. Oh, my gosh, this is my problem today. Oh, somebody's sick. Let's go feed them. It's amazing how that accountability network is right at your fingertips. All you've got to do is go chase it down. And the other thing is service. There's so many things we can do in this church, in every one of God's churches. You can pick one. You have a strength. You know what your strength is. Use it. It's very simple. Mission trips. I don't know how I got involved. Yeah, I do know how I got involved. David Small, rest his soul, took me on the first mission trip with him, going to support Brenda uh, Rose. I've been doing it now for 11 years, I think. I love it. I love it because I feel like I'm getting something done. I didn't realize Dave, on the first year, was grooming me to take over, but I'm doing that. doesn't mean that you're going to take over the next mission trip you go on. But think out of your box. Do something that you never thought you would do. And enjoy how much grace God gives you because it can make your life so much easier when you realize you have no control, but you have the Holy Spirit, you have grace, you've been blessed. You're sitting here, you're not in high school in Nigeria, ask, somebody asking you if you're a Christian so they could shoot you. So our, our mission is pretty easy. I ask you to take your mission on. Thank you.